Hello and welcome to Ask a Fellow, the Pennsylvania Art Education Association's first ever podcast. My name is Leslie Marie Grace and I'm president of PAEA. I've been teaching for 17 years and I'm excited to serve in my newly assigned leadership role. And I hope that this podcast offers you inspiration and closeness in this time of isolation. I also hope that with this podcast to offer you more opportunity to connect and hear from our PAEA fellows who have so much history and shared experiences in art education that we can benefit from hearing. Perhaps you'll find yourself nodding along in agreement. Maybe you'll have an aha moment, or maybe you'll come to the realization that we are all in this together. Whatever that may be, I hope you enjoy listening to the stories of great art educators who helped pave the way. Hi, Leslie. This call is being recorded. <laughs> Hi, Jackie. I hope you just heard the message that the call is being recorded. Recording. So we can uh, get this show on the road. All right. And, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, we are joined by Jackie Thomas, and she is the um, fellow chair of the Clyde McGeary Scholarship for Pennsylvania Art Education. Hello, Jackie. Hi, Leslie. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add in your intro? I keep them short and sweet, but feel free to fluff yourself oh, up. Well, I am retired. <laughs> Not all fellows are retired, but most of us are. <laughs> right, right, right. Tired oh, great. Um So my first question, Jackie, um, I like to learn people's history of why they became an art teacher. Um, so what inspired you? What brought you to the path of art education? Well, um, I think it was destiny, and it also was an accident. Um, there was a lot for a, while, a time I played with being a lawyer, and then I wanted to, what I really wanted to be was an analytical mathematician. But I felt, um, in the end, <laughs> I decided that the only time I really had a sense of well-being and felt totally engaged was when I was creating artwork. And uh, I was told by my grandmother and a lot of people that the only way I'd make a living at it was to teach. So uh, I could make a, so I could make my living, of course. I'm so glad that in the end I accidentally became an art teacher. Uh, I wasn't a teacher at the beginning. I had, and I don't know if I am now. But you grow into it, and I like to think that I've grown into becoming a teacher. <laughs> I think so. I think so. That was, I guess, a big stigma. Um, I mean, it still can be. Uh, parents don't often understand how a student, their child, can make money in the art world. So education seems to be a fallback plan for uh, some folks. Um, but that oh, I, is so interesting. Go ahead. I think during my time period, uh, my grandmother thought you could either be a kindergarten teacher or a secretary. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how times have changed. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, but wow, that's fascinating. Uh, you originally were going like the lawyer or the mathematician route. That is uh, so so much of a divergence from the, the, the creative art world. <laughs> Do you think that in inspired <laughs> any of your, uh, any of the way that you uh, composed yourself in the classroom? Uh, the fact that uh, you had an interest in uh, lawyer and mathematician, uh, 
things that are really analytical like that, do you think that inspired the way you ran your classroom, um, like the way you approached how you wrote lessons or um, developed them? Did it, I, I just, for me, when I think about those uh, two things and uh, someone who was interested in that becoming an art teacher, it makes me think about um, having very systematic ways of doing things. Did you find that you were systematic or that um, you tend to embrace the chaos of the situation more? I'm I'm comfortable with both. Uh, I find that in planning, I'm very structured, but in implementation, I go with the flow. I can deal with accidents. I can deal with uh, surprises. I can uh, veer off into another direction. So um, I I am both, and I, there are certain things that I have to do in a systematic way. But most yeah. things I find in my artwork, I do both as well. And I, usually other people say they're stronger when I'm divergent rather than when I'm structured. But that's why I'm a fibers artist. You know, math mm -hmm. plays heavily into fibers. I, I'm a, I have a master's degree in double weave. And uh, that's a lot of math. Um, I loved being an administrator. And, of course, I had to do budgets. And I had, I had a lot of... of structured, probably boring things that other things that people would find boring, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all fascinating. That makes a lot of sense too with uh, the connection to your, your fibers and, and seeing you work with them too. You do such beautiful, small, detailed work with your, your fibers. Um, and all of that's just kind of coming together in my head <laughs> now. Um, so uh, paint us a, a little bit more of a picture about your journey um, into art education. What year did you begin teaching? What levels did you teach? And anything else you'd like to add to that? I'll, talk, I'll start about beginnings. Uh, although I, I entered uh, college in 1963, uh, but I didn't go straight through. I took lots of breaks. Some of them were uh, at least, each break was at least a year long. And so I was in and out of college over time. And part of that was vacillating about whether to become an art teacher or not. Because I originally entered a program at Kutztown uh, to become an art teacher. And then I kept leaving. And for a while, I was a banker and working on banking certifications to become, um, to go through all the banking they they have levels and um, but I kept going back to the art. But in 1963, uh, when I first entered, I had a prof, John Sawyer, and Jim Kern was dean of, of visual uh, and performing arts at Kutztown, and they took me with them to a PAEA board meeting at the Department of Education uh, at 30, at 333 Market Street. Uh, as a student rep for PAEA, which I, I in retrospect, find to have also been a determining factor in my becoming more involved and staying involved ever since then in PAEA. Uh, my first teaching job, um, I had just graduated from college. I was married. I had a, a toddler, um, all of which happened, uh, which I had actually when I was finishing up college. And incidentally, in the end, I finished college in two and a half years. I took courses by exam, and I uh, had got, I talked props into doing independent study. 
so that I could sort of get, make the courses be what I wanted, a lot of them. We redesigned them. But anyway, my first teaching job, I got a phone call from, um, from Quakertown High School, uh, Quakertown superintendent, actually. And they were going to bring um, ninth grade into the high school. They'd been in a junior high before then. And he had decided, and maybe the board, but I only met him, he had decided they wanted to teach art appreciation. And um, Kutztown said, well, they only knew one person they could suggest they call, so they called me. Um, anyway, the superintendent, um, I, agree, I agreed to try it. I like challenge. He gave me $100 to buy slides because, of course, that's how you teach art appreciation. <laughs> and, uh, but I took my $100 and uh, I bought uh, workbooks. They were Our Main Man Environment 7, and they were developed at that time by uh, the Philadelphia Architects Organization. It was fabulous. It had uh, all kinds of structures, historical structures, domes and uh, arches and, I don't know, all kinds of, of things, be almost like building blocks. That, uh, and we, I built a curriculum around uh, uh, the, that, the environment. And um, I had a classroom that was a closet. It had a window, though. It had a window. And, uh, but they put teacher, student desks in it, and there was no table. But I had, I had a desk. So we used my desk as a table. And uh, they assigned me to a homeroom on the first floor. My classroom was on the second floor next to the superintendent's office, actually. And um, I was, the art teacher made a, uh, agreed that um, there were certain things that he had a lot of extra and he said, I could steal them if I wanted to. And ca if I could carry it, I could have it. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd carry certain things up to my classroom to use with my students. But most of the projects we did, we, we designed art for environments as well as environments. And um, so most of the artwork we did was painting with India ink on newspaper because they were the most plentiful materials. Mm -hmm. So that, I only stayed there one year. In 1972, North Penn, uh, Chuck Kinder, who was a supervisor, called me and said, we really want you to come here. So I went there and uh, to teach junior high art. And it was traditional. They had, uh, it was studio-based, grade 7 to 9. Um, they used uh, traditional media like painting and pottery. And I could teach fibers because you could teach your own favorite uh, subject areas. After a couple of years, I was very dissatisfied with the curriculum, and a music teacher and I, who were always talking, he was a younger guy, um, but he and I agreed to work together, and we created RFA. We, it was called Related Fine Arts, and um, it was a course for 7th and 8th graders. It met the music and art curriculum requirements, and... Um, we uh, added a smattering of po poetry to it uh, so that students could see relationships of literature, music, and art uh, during targeted cultural uh, time periods. And it was content, hands-on activities in, in music and in art and in the, the literature area. And at first, um, our schedule was filled. We taught all day RFA. 
a couple thousand kids a week, but um, the principal assigned students to our classes. And eventually, the principal decided to make it a required course instead of his picking the kids. And um, so all the other, the, the other music and art teachers had to pick up sections of it because we couldn't cover everybody. And they hated it. So the principal said, <laughs> I'm going to make it an elective. Well, surprise. Every student in the school elected it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and after that happened, I left. <laughs> no, well, I then uh, accepted a position. Uh, rather than ex uh, I was offered a position as principal of the junior high. A, a period of time had gone by uh, in 1987, and um, Williamsport uh, also contacted me. And I went to Waynesport because they were offering a supervisor of art. And I was so excited. I wanted that position. Uh, and I was hired to make changes in the curriculum to meet the new DBAE curriculum regulations. And although I wasn't assigned a teaching schedule ever, I set up a self-imposed schedule. And I arranged with different teachers each year to teach a comprehensive unit with them um, during the year. And my comprehensive units that I did with them, uh, the, the shortest ones were a month, and a lot of times they went a semester long. I didn't necessarily, I didn't teach their whole schedule. I taught one class with them. But I, you know, how they meet the class every day. At that time, the scheduling was every day they had art. And so I would go into that one class every day and work with the teacher. Uh, and we would design it together and teach it together. But it gave me a chance to demonstrate uh, about what DBAE looks like and uh, some of the possibilities for teaching criticism and philosophy and art history using hands-on activities. And after that, I developed and taught units and classes every year when it was no longer necessary to demonstrate um, so that I could get my fix to the classroom, of course, and build <laughs> relationships with teachers. Uh, the first couple of years, I taught only in art classrooms, and then I team taught with elementary and secondary teachers, illustrating uh, the universality of the arts in teaching other curriculum areas. Um, when Williamsport started downsizing, uh, in their administration, I wore other administrative hats and broadened my focus to coaching teachers from all disciplines. So for a number of years, I was a half-time department head uh, for art, uh, paired with uh, other educational positions like professional development director, K-12 curriculum coordinator, and then I became assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction in 1987. I spent a year as acting superintendent in 99, and I retired from the school district in 2007. Um, I put in uh, 36 years of public school education of uh, my retirement. <clears throat> I also taught some uh, college courses, art for elementary at Penn State, and art teacher prep courses for Lycoming like, College. Mm -hmm. And then, wow. uh, so that was my sort of my journey into the beginning of teaching <laughs> and all the way through. <laughs> to see your journey like towards leadership and uh, becoming the art supervisor. And I, I love and appreciate how you 
were dedicated to building relationships with your teachers. I think that's so super important and relevant. And then also to model the things that teachers should be knowing and learning how to do as times change, like it did with uh, DBAE, um, which I feel like is a great segue. Um, so I do want to circle back to a question about um, how did you know it was time to retire, but the segue feels too good to not um, take advantage of uh, about DBAE to talk about that a little bit. Um, sure. So un I understand that you helped to introduce DBAE to the state and also through that role of being the art supervisor in your district. Um, so can you describe to us um, what DBA is and why you saw relevance in its role in art education? Absolutely. Um, DBAE stands for Discipline-Based Art Education, and therefore disciplines uh, that are identified as components of DBAE. There's art philosophy, art criticism, art history, and art studio. So DBAE was a K-13, so it went through, through uh, public schools all the way up into college. It was K-13 response to accountability and assessment. Historically, uh, J. Paul Getty Trust uh, formulated DBAE in the early 1980s, and it was something I didn't realize at the time. I thought it was just sort of happening in Pennsylvania, uh, but evidently it was happening everywhere. Uh, the, the Getty advocated through DBAE that art be taught by certified teachers, and a call uh, that, of course, PAEA and NAEA and the other organizations also advocated so it helped the professional organizations, first of all, to eventually conceive, convince each state legislature to require certified art teachers. And that was a tough battle. And PAEA testified to the uh, state board, the Pennsylvania State Board, about implementation. <clears throat> the Getty also advocated that art education is for all students, not just those who demonstrate talent in making art. Um, I saw DBAE as a call to broaden the curriculum to address issues and ideas beyond uh, just studio-centered, and I don't want to make that adjust, it, but beyond studio-centered programs in which only Nick was taught. And I know that that wasn't necessarily the way it really was, but that's the way the curriculum uh, requirements were, that so was centered on studio. Uh, and there were limited creative experiences for a majority of students in that setup, usually because the exceptional student who excelled in manipulating students in an adult-like manner uh, was according to the aesthetic of the particular art teacher who was what they were working with. So if I don't manipulate the materials the way the art teacher does, then I probably didn't get as good a grade if I was working toward a grade. At any rate, regardless of that, uh, I had a chance to represent PAEA to testify to the state board about the changes in curriculum regulations that expanded the definitions of arts to uh, reflect the DBAE components. Um, PAEA advocated the standardized curriculum be broad enough to accommodate the art strengths and skills and interests of the amazing variety of art teachers. We did not advocate that a fully defined day-to-day cookie-cutter curriculum be, uh, be designed. <clears throat> One very difficult piece that came later after we tried to define the four content areas for DBAE of history, criticism, philosophy, and studio was the attempt to make arts education more parallel to other academic disciplines and to create a standardized framework for student evaluation. 
this is still an unresolved issue. I believe in making connections to create a synergy, to get an art student to new knowledge that not necessarily the knowledge that I, as a mentor, have, um, the idea that there's more than one right answer and success can be individualized and different for each student and each artist. Uh, those beliefs make it difficult to address through standardized testing, uh, but it's possible. And the problem is and has been the cost of evaluating at that level with no one right answer. And that's the sort of synopsis of introduction of GBIE. Um, you want me to go yes. on and talk about no, no. I think I you you've you've struck something in um in my thinking here with what you said about um that bit being unresolved within evaluating that there being more than one answer. Um and you know, what I see uh, or or the patterns I see when I look at the Pennsylvania art education standards um and the national visual arts standards, I see, to me, it seems like they're built off the scaffolding of DBAE when you look at the main umbrella or anchor standard, um, like performance, uh, historical con context or cultural um, context, the critical response and aesthetic response. Those all seem really anchored in DBAE. So what I'm grateful for DBAE is like starting that conversation and um, building up these platforms for art education. Um, but we have this shift now in our world where um, education for art education, we're looking at it more through a postmodernist lens. Um, and it becomes more about that idea of there is more than one answer and things can't necessarily be standardized. And how do we uh, approach the individual student and uh and celebrate their uniqueness. So, and this is a heavy question, I suppose, um, but hopefully you had some time to think about it. So what role do you think DBAE plays into this postmodern art curriculum? Oh, I think that was uh, really, really, that's what evolved into it. Uh, I think DBAE has, has always been in the curriculum in one way or another. It's not just something that began in the 80s. Uh, that I think that teachers automatically went to history and looked at the culture around them and what kinds of artwork contemporary artists were doing and what the issues were in society. And um, it's just DBAE gave it a name. And uh, in the future, I think art teachers will include a, components in their lessons, just as they always did. Uh, mm -hmm. Contemporary initiatives cost of teaching and knowing about many cultural histories and appreciating and expanding diversity of communities, and that's part of what you were referring to. To me, that mirrors past exploration of DBA movement. Uh, when we were focused on mass masterpieces created by white men, um, those images and resources were readily available, and they became early examples for depth and breadth of uh, the content of history, criticism, philosophy, and studio. But, and interestingly, my doctorate, uh, my doctoral research uh, centered on explaining DBAE through the lens of new historicism. And I think that is, that's a postmodernist uh, mm -hmm. um, philosophy, uh, but it's in the discipline of literature. And it focused on bringing together multicultural perspectives and issues uh, when looking at a single work of art, 
was not like peeling away the layers of an onion to see one core meaning, but the possibility of many perspectives and many meanings. Um, to me, those issues and explorations came out of the past that informed the possibilities for curriculum in the present and the future. Um, the multicultural aspects of arts and, their, and art uh, may be the driving force for identifying work students learn from rather than the specific list of masterpieces from the past. I'm getting emails every day with wonderful resources, multicultural ones, which we could not find for years. Well, we, we, they were out there, I'm sure, but they weren't so accessible for us to pull in quickly to be able to develop lessons uh, and to bring them into the classroom and share with students. Uh, when there are disagreements among art uh, teachers concerning the precepts of DBAE, it doesn't mean it was all bad. And uh, we keep the important good parts and we really think about what worked and what didn't work and we build on the past to move to the focus around to address the current cultural concerns and that's what postmodernism is doing. Um, we are doing what we're supposed to do. We're looking at what's happening around us and it's influencing all realms of our lives, including what our education looks like. Absolutely. I, I went to school learning, um, basically building my lessons off the, of the DBAE framework. And I still, I, I, like my brain is still trained to do it that way, but I definitely, as you were saying, like I take into account um, the, the multiculturalism of my lessons and um, the possibilities, like you said, I wrote that word real big on my, my journal here, the possibilities and no one answer the way a lesson can go and keeping that um, idea of individualism. Um, so I, I, I appreciate all the hard work that you put into uh, introducing DBAE to the state because um, it is something I feel strongly that it, there are still very relevant components to it and uh, definitely worth knowing and understanding. And, and then maybe something to work towards the future is that idea of evaluating an assessment and how, how do we evaluate it in our postmodern curriculum. So maybe that's some work we've got to roll up our sleeves to do. <laughs> Well, let me tell you about the uh, sort of the process that happened. It wasn't that I introduced. It was PAEA was so deeply involved in uh, the implementation of DBAE, and NAEA was very deeply involved. Um, it was, uh, for me personally, I was, um, in 1986, I was PAEA president, which meant, you know, I've been president-elect before that. When I started uh, doing, when I started in administration, I was uh, president-elect. And I, uh, 1986 was uh, PDE's King's Gap Symposium. And the Department of Education, PDE, um, was, Joe Duan DeAngelis was the um, art, fine arts representative, uh, visual art representative. Clyde McGeary then was director of uh, arts and sciences, something like that, um, chief of arts and sciences. And they um, set up a series of three symposia at King's Gap, which is a uh, retreat area near Pittsburgh, somewhere in the mountains, in the middle of nowhere. And um, they were trying to define what it would look like, uh, what the components for DBAE would be. And they invited, I was teaching at North Penn, 
and my junior high, and uh, they invited me to come. And they invited two art teachers. One was the Pennsylvania Teacher of the Year, and she was an art teacher. She actually was from Pittsburgh. And me, and everybody else was a college prof, prof, and they all had doctor in front of their names, and I was terrified. But (laughs) you done a paper about teaching art history the way I taught it in the studio base. And um, so it was based on my related fine arts teaching experience. And um, I spent a whole year trying to develop a paper. And I I went and presented it at the retreat, but it was hands-on. So everybody else read their papers, and they sat around and talked about it like you do uh, when we go take college courses. But they had to get down and dirty with me. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> Um, but it was it was scary and it was fun and it inspired me to work on the uh, actually outcomes of that was for inspired me to work on my doctorate and to seek the administrative positions. I wasn't so sure I wanted to do that until this happened. And I you may not make sense, but it was a way I thought I could reach out and touch lots and lots of lives instead of just the thousand or two that I had in the classroom. And so, um, PD, uh, and of course, there were two other symposia. I was the art history one, but there were two others. And they um, they published those. So I'm published, and my paper was, what was it called? Um, Mona Lisa, Planning for Classroom Dialogue in the Arts and Humanities, a Model. And that was the beginning of presenting my Mona Lisa papers, in 1987, I presented at the NAEA convention as a hands-on workshop, just like I did at King's Gap. And then after that, I started really, really working hard on this. I served on the Pennsylvania Department of Ed Arts Curriculum Project Committee in 88 and 89. I was appointed PDE Arts Education Advisory Council in 1990 to 94. And I served as the chair of Benchmarks Task Force. Uh, from 90 to 91, I served as coordinator of all Chapter 5 related testimony to the State Board of Education. Um, that was for PAEA in 1990 to 94. I served as chair of the assessment committee for PAEA in 92 to 94. And then I served as co chair and editor of the PAEA curriculum frameworks from 93 to 95 and 98 to 2005. The purpose of the frameworks was to try to define DBAE, this is at the beginning, and to use, and use it as a resource to give workshops all over Pennsylvania to all art educators so that everybody would start to have some kind of background in it and start to get some understanding of uh, what it would be, how we would teach it. And we tried, to, so we tried to make it a practical workbook. And, um, so um, King's Gap was meant to define the components, and the PA frameworks were to describe ways to teach the components. Uh, we used the, um, the framework to start professional conversations, uh, to implement the Chapter 5 regs. We got a grant from PCA, Pennsylvania Council of the Arts, uh, to offer uh, PAEA-sponsored workshops. To train, we trained trainers, and we sent PAEA board members out all over to present and train, and we published the frameworks, 
and every art teacher, uh, we were trying to get a copy into every art teacher's hands, as well as every college. They'll add the college professors into that as art teachers as well. Ultimately, my participation, I I participated and presented about DBAE in these venues, and this is an incredible number. I was surprised (laughs) when I I went. (laughs) I presented 20 PAEA conference super session speaker and workshop presentations, 10 NAEA conference workshop presentations, two National Staff Development Conference workshop presentations, nine guest lectures for college symposia, 20 multi-day curriculum consultant contracts for individual school districts, consortia of school districts, dioceses, schools, and IUs, 11 years as a consultant for the annual week-long Pennsylvania Department of Education Shippensburg Conference. Uh, It was a curriculum project team, and we we got teams of dance, theater, music, and art teachers from individual school districts, and they would come together, and we'd be immersed and develop curriculum together. Um, And then uh, one uh, curriculum, I also had one contract with the Missouri Department of Education to help them start to implement DPAE in their, or to develop their uh, curriculum regulations. Uh, for DBAE, um, I, it's about, all about being in the right place of time, right time for me. It's how I ended up where I am. Uh, it's also how I accomplished what I accomplished. I was lucky enough in '93 to '99 to serve as chair of the PA, NAEA board of special project for staff development, and in that role, MacArthur Goodwin and I represented NAEA as consultants to the national study of school evaluation publications, indicators of schools of quality, school-wide indicators, and program evaluation, visual and performing arts. That's program, not student evaluation. I also served as editor of the NAEA Goals 2000 Education Reform Handbook, suggested policy issues, activities for, for professional development in 1995. Those parallel initiatives we're also trying to define DBAE through the lens of curriculum evaluation and professional development. And while Mac and I uh, were representing NAE for the NSSE project, we traveled to Arizona. I got to travel all over the place. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Each time for a week, his wife told me that I was spending more time with him than she was. <laughs> <laughs> In 1994, uh, NAEA nominated me as a representative to the Getty Center for Education and the Arts uh, for a DBAE leadership uh, seminar in Los Angeles, and I was also, I was invited for Getty's video teleconference uh, on Art Education in Action as well, and Getty was the initiator, but I didn't know it. It was an, it's been an incredible journey and fun and um, been it sort of remolded me. It's all accidental. I became an accidental teacher. I became an accidental administrator and accidentally involved with CBAE. <laughs> well, as Bob Ross would say, that's a happy accident. <laughs> um, I 
I'm so impressed by your CV, quite honestly. It's just amazing and astounding the amount of work you were able to do and being in the right place at the right time and, and helping art education grow the way it did. So how did you know with all your busyness and what you were doing that it was the right time to retire? Oh, another accident. <laughs> it was my health. I retired because okay. of my health. I had intended to work longer and, uh, I went through um, cancer and a whole bunch of other things. I worked the whole time that I was going through treatments. And after everything was settling down, I proved to myself and to I felt I was proving to all the people I worked with at, at school that I was going to live. I decided, okay, it's all right. <laughs> you can retire. <laughs> and so it was, but it was another happy accident because, it's my first opportunity to be a full-time artist. So I ha and it's the first time I've ever had a studio, ever in all those years. And um, it's it's it was a good thing. It was time, I guess. Uh, actually, technology is starting to get out of hand, and you know, I'm, I'm grow things have gone beyond my skill levels. I think, and it was a good time. It was a good. Time. Mm. So you don't yeah. think you would have survived virtual learning? Oh, I did. I taught <laughs> online. I taught. Okay. Oh, you would have been fine then. <laughs> I did it. I did it by um, email. It was the only way I could figure out. And I taught college courses that way. I taught in service that way, professional development that way for a number of years. A new teacher, uh, you know, you do uh, induction programs. I made them take a course and I taught that online. Amazing. <laughs> Well, yeah. you are an amazing survivor and, and it's truly inspiring to me. Um, as we wind up our conversation here, I wonder what is one tool in your art teacher toolbox that you could not have survived without? I think this won't come as a surprise to you. It's to build relationships with students. Uh, you, need, you need to take a genuine interest in students and get to know about their lives and their interests. And uh, I have two principles, actually, for building relationships. Um, first is to know yourself and be yourself. Uh, because life for each person is about becoming what you're going to be, what you are. And we grow and we change over time. We don't remain the same person over time. And so the purpose of schools, in my opinion, has always been to help individuals discover the possibilities, because there are lots of them out there, and to grow into the person they're going to be. And the paths for growth evolve from formal schooling and opportunities that uh, come out of other environments as well. And even when each person interacts with the same experiences, the influence of the past personal experiences and environment will affect what's learned and whom she will become. That means individuals understand and have skills, their skill sets will be different among every student. If you're a teacher, you know yourself and the paths that led you to become who you are, and it's possible to help students to reflect within themselves to determine how and who they are. Um, their interests and their strengths and their weaknesses, their easy successes and their hard-won successes. Self-awareness can lead individuals to seek out new opportunities for learning and growth. And the second principle is to allow yourself to be yourself. Doing this can help a teacher be accepting of all diff and different children 
And believing and knowing in yourself uh, as a teacher is uh, most accessible for the teacher. If her students, if she follows the paths that seem to fit, for me, trying to be, I believe that you know, trying to be what you're not is very difficult, leads to misery. Being true to yourself means working in communities in which you're comfortable and allowed to be yourself. If the fit isn't there, you either move on or you decide to really, really, you have a reason for wanting to continue to work there. You work in I worked, I believed in working in institutions that fit my beliefs and welcome to my skill sets and that were willing to help me to grow and expand my knowledge and my skill base. Uh, none of this precludes your trying new initiatives when you believe in and that uh, they are outside your comfort zone. Um, there are opportunities to grow and be aware of your feelings and beliefs about where these experiences lead you. They also project those beliefs onto students and help them to be learners who want to grow to be themselves. So I make myself, but I help them to make themselves. So I hate ahead. art teachers if you don't build a relationship. <laughs> yeah. That's my first. Uh, <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> I'm over here on my end, just like shaking my head, like, yes, yes, preach. <laughs> Everything you're saying is so important and so relevant. And I couldn't think of a, a better tool in the toolbox to um, reflect upon. And uh, Jackie, I want to thank you for your time. This was a beautiful conversation. You, like I, I said a million times, I'm like fangirling out over here. You're an amazing inspiration person to learn from. And I know you have more stories to tell. So hopefully we'll get to hear more of them in the future. Thank you, Leslie. This was very nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you Thank did you. great. It's, it's nerve-wracking for me, too, because I'm like, oh, gosh, she's going to know so much more than me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I get nervous, too. It's, it's all good, though. You did wonderful, and I, I look forward to publishing this on our podcast, and I will send you the link once it's available. Thank you. Thank you, and thanks for, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll do this again. It's great. <laughs> Bye, Leslie. All right. Bye, Jackie. Thank you for listening to PAEA's Ask a Fellow podcast. We hope to release a new episode once a month, sharing a different fellow's journey in art education each time. We hope you enjoyed this recording and we look forward to seeing you around in Pennsylvania.